Welcome to the Garbage Pod. One pod, one load of garbage. 29 and 28. Remanded in custody. Something curious about this broadcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Garbage Pod. Today marks an occasion that podcasters like myself look forward to every year. Have a listen to this. International Podcast Day is September 30th and you can help spread the word. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. Head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Then use hashtag International Podcast Day to join the conversation. You can reach out and connect with other podcasters, listeners, and your favorite podcast hosts. Remember September 30th, International Podcast Day, a day-long celebration of the power of podcasts. The Garbage Pod has been part of International Podcast Day since its conception in 2014. In fact, Dave Lee, who is one of the founders of International Podcast Day, is a good friend of the show and has appeared on the podcast on a number of occasions. If you have joined us through the International Podcast Day socials, welcome to the Garbage Pod, and I hope you enjoy your time with us. So, who are we? Well, we started off as a magazine-style podcast, bringing light-hearted, unusual news stories to our listeners, and over time, the Garbage Pod has evolved into the People's Podcast, because there are many interesting people out there that really deserve recognition, so we try to bring their stories to our listeners. We also have our annual Eurovision show where we try to predict what will do well in the competition and usually fail. If you enjoy listening to The Garbage Pod, why not check out the other podcasts in the TGP family? You can blast off into the podosphere with TGP Nominal, The Garbage Pod's science fact and science fiction based podcast where you can find out everything you want to know about spaceflight, astronomy, science, technology and sci-fi. Or maybe you might fancy a pint. Then join us for the Garbage Pod Tap Room, our podcast dedicated to food and drink. Visit thegarbagepod.weebly.com for more information. Right, it's time for a short break, and when we come back, we're going to crack on with the main part of the show. to the garbage pod for our international podcast day show regular listeners might remember that fellow podcaster joe cariotti from the joe q car show came aboard to chat with me about his ventures and generally chew the fat well there was so much interesting content recorded during that chat that i decided to keep some back for this episode this space exploration the things you talk about on tgp nominal right like at what cost is kind of a thing i ask I think it's very important to explore space. 
it is the final frontier that we know of right now until we figure out what the next dimension is. <laughs> like, that's super important. But, you know, we, we don't have like a good way to like terraform a planet yet. So we've still got to work on making sure that we're taking care of the people here and we're not just, uh, you know, mining this thing that we have. I, I guess I, I've turned into much more of an environmentalist lately. The, the more I feel the effects of climate changing, you know, and seeing sea level rise in my area. I just feel like there's more of a responsibility and people are a lot more perceptive to it now than, than we were, you know, even 10 years ago. And I think even in the space industry, things have changed for the environment. You know, they're coming up with new ways of, of fueling rockets, which are, are, are more uh, environmentally friendly. Different types of fuel that they're bringing in, new types of fusions that they're bringing in. There's a company in the UK actually called Reaction Engines, and they've developed an engine that actually uses air and it actually flies like a plane until it gets to a certain height and then it goes into rocket mode and then it'll do the rest as a rocket yes that's super smart there's so many considerations to take on two different propulsion systems like that right the actual engine is called a saber engine and it's a hypersonic pre-cooled hybrid air breathing rocket engine amazing (laughs) wow the idea is you can actually launch these things from any airport in the world. Amazing. Just the amount of infrastructure that you have to have for launching a rocket from the Earth to, you know, break through all these different spheres and gravitational poles and everything. Like that's that would be incredibly convenient. I hope it takes off. <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd just let that sit for a minute. <laughs> Do you follow Formula One at all? I used to. It's not as exciting as it used to well, be. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, that I mean, Mercedes has really been winning everything for the last seven, eight years or whatever. But uh, like, th- I think that's this is part of why I was so interested in Formula One since since I was a kid because uh, it, it was pushing technology uh, forward and. It just seems so much more tangible for me because it's like, okay, you know, it has wheels. It's something I interact with. And this technology kind of gets put into consumer products and things we use every day. All the space programs pay that back to humanity in spades. And I don't think that it's something that we can turn our backs on. And I feel like we kind of went through a little bit of a kind of a dark age here. And we're kind of coming out of it with this launch of the Falcon with the people in it and everything. Do you think that or is that just my American exceptionalism talking? It has turned a corner, and things are changing. Even as you say, in the, in the motor industry, I mean, for, for years and years, people had been coming up with electric cars, but the the big boys, your, your General Motors, your Fords and that, were saying, no. And basically, they were approaching these electric car manufacturers and saying, look, we like your idea, we want to buy the idea off you. Yeah, okay. Bought the idea, completely trashed it, threw away the design. And now they're going, oh, hang on a moment, maybe they had something with this. You know? Truly, yeah. There's a, a great documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car? I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, have you seen this at all? I, I think I have actually. It, yeah. it, it's, I mean, it's prolific. Lots, lot, it's one of the, the main ones. But yeah, like it's, it's incredible that the, the technology has been around for years and years. It's just kind of not been able to hit the mainstream because of the controlling interests not wanting to innovate or not seeing a market for it until just recently. 
I guess, you know, lithium ion does a way better job at holding power than, you know, nickel metal hydra, you know, just like these big sloshing around chemical Cause, batteries. Because I can remember a time where you used to have rechargeable batteries that never used to hold the charge for very long. <laughs> Basically, you had to drain it all the way and then charge it all the way and that set its capacity basically it was craziness yeah, I, can, I can remember doing that when when i first got a mobile phone mm-hmm. it was a case of you had to drain the whole thing and then recharge it so it was the best part of two days before you could um, actually yeah actually use it but i i feel like battery technology basically the storage of power has always been our, our biggest limiting factor because being able to store energy allows us to you know travel make food make air clean water do all these different things i've always wondered about that because especially in the uk we live on an island we're surrounded by water and we're not harnessing hydropower oh my goodness the water is going to keep sloshing around we might we may as well use it (laughs) i saw a design and i thought why hasn't anybody developed this and basically how it works is a turbine that goes in the sewer pipes yeah and it's just a constant form of power I think that's a great idea is the water pressure is there to turn a turbine and we have enough energy being put on us by the sun and the wind and the water. We should be able to figure this out. But the one I've been thinking of was kind of um, having these things out in the water that kind of move with the waves and the current of the of the ocean. Basically, you know, uh, it's like a solar panel but you're harnessing the water's uh, motion. That isn't like a dam. That isn't like going to affect the environment in such a drastic way, but it just kind of sets out there and we just have a giant line running to our mainlands, just charging giant cities, uh, basically batteries for cities. I I don't know. I The large-scale power distribution is really tough because you, know, you have peak hours and storage and all this different stuff. I, I almost feel like the best way to deal with it is uh, on a city or individual level almost because uh, we're we're getting there we're getting there with photovoltaic panels we're getting there with energy storage i think once graphene takes hold in batteries we're going to be in a much better spot do do you know anything about the Mm. graphene batteries i know about graphene itself it's an amazing uh composition basically the the promise is you know a hundred times better charging People are claiming 100 times. It'll probably be like 30 times better than what we have now. But think think even if you had two times better on your phone or your laptop, where would you be able to be? So like it's we're talking about energy density when I'm when I'm talking about that. And I, I feel like one, once we can nail that energy density problem with the storing electric power in a battery, we're, we're going to be able to do so much more. Because right now, you know, having an electric aircraft is very... Uh, it's it's very niche. It's 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 not going to be able to do long haul flights, and the batteries are going to be so heavy that doesn't make sense for big planes. And it only works in very specific areas right now. But once that energy density really picks up, we'll be able to to make large strides in getting away from uh, fossil fuels. But it's such an interesting interesting time to be alive and talk about this stuff because it's I feel like we're on the cusp. When I was a kid, we used to have a lot of these, um, they, they used to call them read-along adventures. Yes. <laughs> uh, but basically, you had a book and a cassette or a CD. I used to prefer those than actually watching the movie because you're still using your imagination. And uh, there was this book set that was based around Transformers. And this 
book was called, uh, if I remember rightly, it was called Autobots Lightning Strike. <laughs> the, the whole premise of the book was that the Autobots had never seen lightning before and they didn't know what it was. So one of their engineer, human engineer friends actually explained to them that it was electricity that came from the sky. And, you know, it's very dangerous and how much power is actually coming from these, these lightning strikes. And the Autobots said, well, why don't you use that to power things? And the humans basically said, well, we don't have a containment unit that is strong enough mm -hmm. to actually hold an, a lightning bolt. And uh, so the Autobots came up with a way of making a mast and putting a containment unit for the humans to use <laughs> after they'd left the Earth. The Autobots were desperate to find a source of energy so that they could rebuild their spacecraft and return to Cybertron. Could the answer lie in this thing called lightning? Tell me all you know about lightning, said Optimus Prime. Spike's father picked up a piece of twig and drew diagrams in the earth as he spoke. Lightning is really electricity, he said. We have electricity on Cybertron, said Optimus Prime. But it does not fall from the sky and destroy things. We generate it in power stations. It drives our machines. We also do that here on Earth, said Spike's father. But there is no way to control something as powerful as lightning. A single lightning flash is about a thousand megavolts. Perhaps Earth technology cannot handle such forces, said Optimus Prime. On Cybertron, we learn to deal with power you cannot even begin to imagine. This is a chance we cannot afford to miss. The Autobots must be prepared before the next storm. And, uh, well, the Decepticons got the wrong idea because they thought it was some kind of transmitter that they were trying to send and receive signals from somewhere and went on in this cave where all the containment unit was and they got struck by lightning and, uh, you know, they thought it was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> But um, when I was listening to that, I thought to myself, why haven't we come up with something like that? Because one lightning bolt can power a small city for a month. That would, I mean, just getting lightning to strike in the same area reliably. I mean, there's areas that yeah. have storms and you can make a giant pole and, and really attract a lot of uh, power. I guess it would be so hard to, to capture that. But it is one of those things. It's just like the same, you know, I'm kind of spitballing an idea about harnessing, you know, with the ocean currents and, and waves. And you're like, how could we capture a lightning bolt? I'd be really tough because it happens so quick, too. Like, you'd have the, yeah. the amount of intake on that, that electrical system would be immense. Everything all happening at once. That would be just a, a major influx at one time. Um Scientists have probably been trying to devise a way to do it for years. I was flying over to California uh, from Vegas or Michigan or something, and um, I saw this giant light out in the distance, and it was a bunch of mirrors focused on a giant tower. And these mirrors were harnessing the energy from the sun, focusing all this energy into one area on, the, on this tower, and it was actually heating this tower filled with some sort of oil or or I don't know what it was filled with, but uh, it seemed to be filled with something. And basically it was it, the the action of the stuff boiling at the top and then I th it, it was kind of cycling this fluid and it was able to stay hot for so long that it would be able to go through the night and still be boiling hot or i'm sure beyond boiling <laughs> and uh 
distribute power to the surrounding area. And I just thought that was a very interesting way to capture power and just use the sunlight. It's it's there. The uh, Egyptians were doing, well, not heat, but lights for, for a long time using mirrors. A lot of the buildings, kind of pyramid-type buildings, it's very dark inside. And if you had a mirror set up from the outside to the inside, it's a way of lighting up dark areas. So if you remember the film The Fifth Element... Have you yes, seen the absolutely. Element? Yeah, the, the mirrors bouncing off uh, the things. Yeah. And, yeah, I, but that's that's how they lit in to get inside the those those caverns in the pyramid. I I always wondered actually. I'm like, is there a loss, or if you line it up just right, are you uh, you're gonna get the exact light that you're shining off of one mirror into the other? So I'm sure there it bleeds off it, a little bit each each time. When they're doing things with lasers and they're bouncing things off of stuff with lasers, it's a similar thing. But I imagine it would get weaker at some point, but enough to give you enough light to see. That's that's the main thing. The uh, the, the uh, thing I was talking about is called concentrated solar power, abbreviated as CSP. And actually, Spain has the most in the world right now by a large margin, followed by the U.S. and then South Africa as far as uh, how many mm-hmm. megawatts are being uh, put out there. And that's as of... 2018 that was the last time that this wikipedia article was updated i guess in in the uk you have a different problem because you don't get the same amount of sunlight that you know spain or the u.s will get uh on the landmass here no, so not, not the same no but we do have solar panels on houses here I think it's part of the solution, right? There's enough to actually um, power heating systems, you know, for uh, for hot water and that kind of thing. Crichton, what are you doing, man? Oh, sir, I'm listening to The Garbage Pod. It's a podcast I found in the podosphere. The amount of lore and just history that us as Americans kind of see when you look at the UK... Uh, it, it's really fun because, you know, we, we don't have castles in the U.S. or We, I, we don't have any, like, honest castles, <laughs> you know. The, we weren't having to fight off the Normans. We didn't have to do any of that. Like, all of our forts are just made of wood. There's this, a sense of, of regalness when somebody from the States talks to somebody that has a British accent, right? And especially, like, driving through your country, it's so beautiful. You have all these rolling hillsides, and you can squint and basically pretend you're in any any fantasy setting that, that you've ever read about. I quite often used to do that as a kid. I used to go on a train or something, and you used to pass all this greenery. And I could imagine, you know, somebody on horseback with armor on or Robin Hood or whoever, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that that kind of, like, cultural export that you guys did of this kind of, you know, medieval era, the, the, there's, like, a romantic of the medieval era and you see this in like a lot of the media that gets put out and everything a lot of books that are written it it just these little slices of these towns or shires i really enjoy it because um it makes it feel like a like a fantasy it's like a a a big open storybook and it feels like it has extra lore around it it's the same with the place names over here a lot of them i'll give you an example if a town has got um ister or esther it's probably a roman town really okay why why is that Do you know, or am I asking um, a question it, that you can't it, answer? I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it actually comes from the Latin pronunciation. Um, for example, the Romans actually called London Londinium. Londinium. Oh, interesting. And York, for example. York comes from a Viking word, Jorvik. So then what's the story with with Stoke-on-Trent? Well, the Trent is a river. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a town called Stoke, and it's on the river Okay, Trent. there you go. See, this is not only is it fantastical 
to have these wonderful areas, but it also is uh, pragmatic with their naming schemes. I love it. The one that makes me laugh out of all of them is you've, you You must have heard of Stratford-upon-Avon, the hometown of William Shakespeare. Uh, now, Stratford-upon-Avon, Avon in ancient British actually means river. So it's Stratford-upon-River-River. River. <laughs> It's so it's so interesting. Like I I watch a lot of like House Hunters or Escape to the Country. Oh, Those yeah. are like my guilty pleasures. <laughs> I'm sitting there and they're just like they're talking about South something something Shire, and I'm just like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like what, this countryside looks so wonderful. And every time they talk about a city, it's just like it's only a 30 minute drive to the coast, and it's so picturesque. And of course, you know, there's a lot of editing and fancy stuff in there, but it it just seems so tranquil. You talk about colonialism and things you can't talk about that without talking about the indigenous people in the americas getting brutally taken back but we have cities that have uh really amazing names like uh wyandot and ypsilanti and as a place in um ohio wapakoneta yes yes very very much uh native american names and owasso like there's just very specific uh, names for for these chiefs and tribes and the land that we just kind of took from them um not kind of either even chicago that is such a native american name but it's just kind of part of uh our lexicon now talking of chicago where i actually live right now i'm in a place called uh, letchworth garden city it's the world's first garden city and the guy who created the place when he was young, uh, he was doing a lot of traveling. He was an architect and he was traveling across the Midwest and he managed to get himself a job in an architect's office after the fire in Chicago. And he was actually part of the architect's company that was credited to uh, rebuilding rebuild the city. Chicago. Oh my gosh. Did he go back to where you live now and, and make it such a beautiful city? Is that what happened? Can you- uh, yeah, he, and basically he, what he wanted to do was bring the country and the city together without all the pollution and everything else. The idea was that every man had a plot of land, he had a space to live, and he had some greenery around him as well, so he, he could either you know, have livestock or whatever. I now live in this garden city, and I live in an apartment, so I have no greenery. <laughs> <laughs> the dream has been lost. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere you go here, there's avenues of trees and there's green areas everywhere here. So that part of it hasn't lost. It's, it's so underrated. Uh, and I think we're just starting to realize that as society and culture kind of moves forward from this mass industrialization and our you know grid cities that we just stamp down into the environment. I feel like a lot of architecture and a lot of city planning is taking a step back and saying, oh, okay, you know, like, Maybe not everything should be concrete. Maybe we should step back here and really work on making some interesting green space that's shareable that people in apartments or flats can actually use because it just makes life so much better. Uh, And especially in the Detroit area, it's been an automotive mecca for so long. I mean, a group of automotive companies got together and we ripped up the rail system that we had in Detroit to sell more cars. You still have to have a car if you live in the U.S. unless you're living in one of the major cities. But all of the cities that are kind of medium-sized cities are taking a lot of uh, actions to be more bikeable, more walkable, and just a lot more 
friendly to people that are in the cities but i think a huge part of that is having appropriate amounts of green space because it wasn't that long ago where you know we were basically hunters and gatherers <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago that we were primarily farming and we were just farmers so all this intense specialization that's taking place and making and creating the society that we live in now i think we it's it's worth taking a step back and I think your guy had the right idea. If you look at like happiness levels throughout your country, your city probably has like ha- higher happiness levels. We had uh, companies here that were built in particular for producing happiness within the workers because a happy worker does a better job. And they were the first people to have like actually in the company building, they had a library so people could read. They had healthcare things. They had a dentist that was actually in the building so that you didn't have to go away from the building to go to the dentist. You could do it in-house and then come straight back to work. That's an amazing perk that needs to happen to more places. That's great. Yeah. Um, We're talking... Wow, this would have been in the early 1900s, yeah, so... Uh, plus years ago. Yeah. Whenever I'm in the potosphere, there's only one place to be. That garbage pod. Well, I'm sure you'll agree with me that we covered some really fascinating topics during that chat. Information about Joe and links to our previous chat and topics that we spoke about will be in the show notes. More details can be found at the end of the show. During that chat with Joe... I mentioned that I live in a garden city. Well, that leads us nicely onto the next section of the show, because during lockdown, all indoor venues like museums and galleries were close to the general public. So the Garden City Heritage Foundation had an amazing idea to take local history outdoors. Have a listen to this. So you join me not too far from actually where I live, to be honest with you. We're, we're in Letchworth Garden City, as most people know, that's where I'm from. And uh, there's an event actually happening today, just a stone's throw from, from where I am. And I'm, I'm talking with one of the people that's in, involved with, uh, with the project. And it's Josh Tidy, who's the heritage manager for the Letchworth Garden City Heritage Foundation. How are you doing, Josh? I'm good, thank you. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. So Josh, tell me about what's going on here today. So this is uh, a scheme we're doing called uh, Letchworth's Outdoor Museum. And essentially, since we can't open up the museum currently, uh, we decided to take the museum to the people, so to speak. And uh, we're basically rocking up in a different park or open space every week with displays about the area. So people can either find out about the area they live in, or uh, we haven't really had any yet, but... people could follow us around each each week and find out about lecture at a different park at a time so we're in a an area called jackman's which is um kind of was built as a kind of an overspill from london is that right yeah it's a sort of the last real expansion of uh, lecture and uh an interesting housing layout it was designed on the radburn principle which is uh, named after Radburn in New Jersey, America, which, as an aside, was the first American attempt at a Garden City plan, and it's sort of boomeranged back here. And essentially that housing layout principle is that you separate uh, pedestrian from car traffic by having a sort of main trunk road and then uh, spurs off. It means that Jack is quite self-contained, and um, the way that layout works is that there are kind of cul-de-sacs and unlit paths and things like that 
I think it's fair to say in the past has had a, something of a reputation, but um, on a day like today, in this setting, it's a beautiful place, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, since I've been living here, I haven't experienced any problems. So, and, and and I think it's the same wherever you go because you've got people here that say, oh, you know, you go to the Grange, they've got issues at the Grange, and people at the Grange that they've got issues over here. And I've never seen any of it, to be honest with you. No, likewise. So you've got a lot of display stands, some A-frame stands, telling people about different things that have happened over the past for Lecture of Hand Jackmans. Um, can you take us through some of them? Yeah, of course. So some areas we've done obviously have a little bit more history. Um, Jackmans was built in the sort of mid-60s. So there's uh, sort of evocative photos of the uh, estate being built and uh, lots of really nice photographs of street passes for the Jubilee, uh, for the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977. And, um, yeah, just lots of scenes that people, local people might recognise and uh, so perhaps, hopefully, some scenes they don't. All right. So you've actually got some of, uh, you say, the, the, the estate being built? Yeah. This is building the underpass under Radburn Way, which... Uh, locals will be familiar with lots of these some of these photos we've uh, posted on our facebook before and um we really find that this era has a uh, great uh, engagement on facebook as i think it's the sort of living memory of uh, the people lots of people who use facebook so well, i remember when we posted this lots of people were sort of really amazed by it and saying oh that's my walk to work every day and um Obviously, pictures of the builders smoking cigarettes. And yeah, and, then, and it's, you can tell it's of an era because, you know, the guy's wearing flat caps and there's no uh, PPE at all, is there? That's right, yeah, no high-vis or uh, hard hats. <laughs> it's quite an amazing photograph, actually. And uh, that, this was uh, 1963 when they started building this. So at that time, I, I guess this was just fields. Yeah, absolutely. It's got its name from way back in the, the when Letchworth was first built. There was it was called Jackman's Plantation, and then subsequently there was a housing development off Baldock Road in the 30s called Jackman's Place, and then this is all south of that, and the whole area got called Jackman's. So, what would they have been growing here? Goodness, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it's largely arable. I know that they plant a lot of uh, wheat that goes to make shredded wheat around here. Yeah, I've seen, as you come off the A1M there, there used to be a sign that said, proud to be made into Weetabix or something like that. That's right, yeah, that's right. I think it it went up to Wellin where they used to make uh, Weetabix. But yeah, no, that's that's one I'll have to look into. (laughs) To what was that? Farming purposes around Letchworth. I don't know, I'm afraid. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) And uh, the next board we're coming up to is, is something I'm very familiar with. <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, it hasn't changed all that much. <laughs> so this is, the, yeah, this is the parade of shops with uh, the flats above. It's one of those... Uh, we've got quite a lot of photographs like this, and I think Newtown suffer from it a little bit as well, where they always take photographs without any people in, which I always think is a real shame. So it looks quite bleak, actually, but... Um, I think it was far from it in the 60s, 70s. I think it's quite a sort of buzzy place. I think that Jackman's has, has always had that kind of community spirit behind it. I mean, obviously there's the community centre there, and they do have they have in the past the, the Jackman's Fun Day, 
which does bring people together and um, that spirit does come about and it's the only time I've noticed that people really talk to each other on events like that because um, people tend to keep themselves to themselves these days. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, post the year or, year or so we've had, maybe there's some optimism around people congregating a bit more and knowing their neighbours a bit more and all those things. I hope so. I hope this is, has got a, a positive silver lining to it in, in many yeah, ways. And it has. I think it has. Uh, people are discovering skills that they didn't know they had and getting out and doing things more. So I think you might be right there. I think people are definitely discovering their local parks you know, during those long lockdown months where no one could drive anywhere or anything, I think uh, lots of people possibly were surprised to discover they had such good local parks on their doorstep, I think. What have we got next? So, yeah, I mean, lots of these lovely photos of the houses just haven't been built. Unfortunately, lots of them, our catalogue just says houses on Jackmans, which is rather a shame for anyone who lives on these streets. So we're quite interested in people identifying them. Have you had anybody come back to you on that one yet? Not yet, no. Not yet. We Usually, uh, when we put them on Facebook, on the Garden City Collection Facebook page, that usually does the trick, actually. So we'll have to do that with, with some of these. I'm trying to figure out whether that's sand or whether it had been snowing. I was trying to work yeah, out what time just, of year it yeah, was. Yeah, it's to tell, isn't it? Because all the trees are new as well, so you can't really... Uh, gauge from the leaves yeah. Well, yeah I'm trying to figure out where the whereabouts that is but yeah well, if, if that goes up on Facebook we'll definitely share it on our <laughs> post as Actually. well and see if we can get some information back for you <laughs> right what else have we got here ah these are some of those street parties yeah. of, uh, seem like a different age today don't they yeah they're just congregating so close together very close very 70s isn't it yeah (laughs) completely of its time exactly because i i don't remember i mean i was around then but i don't really remember the street parties in 77 but i do remember the ones in 1981 for charles and darling yeah so it was a similar similar affair but street parties is something that is very, very British. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really see other countries do they, they do their own form of outdoor celebrations and things, but a, a proper street party is, is something that is very, very British and, and something that's happened ever since probably Second World War, I would imagine. That yeah, that maybe the... Thing. Maybe it dates from the coronation, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Or VE Day. Yeah. Yeah. They're certainly undergoing a bit of a revival, aren't they, with the recent royal weddings and Queen's Jubilees and all that. It was yeah. a pity with last year, to be honest, with the, the VE Day celebrations, we couldn't really celebrate. And people did have their own individual kind of parties, uh, household parties, but... Uh, Maybe we can do something when we come out of this. It'll be, yeah, it'll be really nice to do. It'll be our own VE day, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have some wonderful photos in the collection of VE day in Letchworth. You know, lots of buildings being floodlit and bedecked in flags for the first time. And, wow. Um, you know, street parties. And there's one of uh, the girls at St Francis College perching on 
various ledges and windows and ledges and sort of <laughs> would give a modern health and safety manager a fit yes because <laughs> <laughs> I can remember my uncle telling me about the time when um, chocolate and sweets came off a of rationing and everyone just had a massive sugar rush for a couple of days you know uh, amazing time and he was also telling me obviously when when they first started getting things like bananas over in the UK and people didn't know how to eat them well yeah absolutely because uh, they thought well do you eat it with the skin on or and um, yeah a lot of kids did just chewed straight into it and these, these are horrible you know? yeah. character building <laughs> <laughs> so here we have a a plan of the estate so is, is this actually how it ended up? Or? It is, yeah. Yeah, essentially. So you have this... Obviously, you can't see. <laughs> it's a huge sort of trunk road, basically. It loops around. And then off each of those are essentially sort of cul-de-sacs with sort of mini neighbourhoods off them. I mean, it's quite uh, reminiscent of the new town in the sort of style and architecture. And it is quite self-contained in that sense. It's almost like a mini new town. And am I right in thinking that all of the streets and cul-de-sacs are all alphabetical? They are. They go essentially from A to... I'm not sure there's a Z. They go to A, a from A to Y um, as you go around. So in theory, you can sort of work out roughly where you are along that big road uh, by what letter you are. It'd be interesting to ask a, a, a new postman whether that's, that's <laughs> where he works. Yeah, I don't think it's a very postman-friendly area, actually. <laughs> it's a little bit like... Uh, it, mentioning new towns I mean new towns obviously have lots of these sort of nutty uh, features like the the alphabetical naming I know that uh, Harlow and Essex for example have they have different neighbourhoods that are all the streets and roads within neighbourhood start with the letter of that neighbourhood oh right okay so I suppose helpful if you're on a street and you don't know what neighbourhood you're in but um, it's more interesting just from a map point of view I suppose. Do you know of the reason why the streets and areas are actually named why they are in on Jackman's at all? No, it's a good question. The rest of lecture often it's either relatively self-explanatory or or is um you know it's it's more than that research to uncover it. But um no I don't actually know because there were some quite unusual Names on Jackman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because obviously you've got, you got things like Yardley, and I thought, why well, is it perfumes or yeah. that kind of thing? And then you've yeah. got Hadley. Maybe they're named after companies. Possible. Yeah, I don't think they're local companies if they are. But, but there yeah. are some places in Letchworth that are actually named after company names, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, usually that's where the... Unfortunately, where the factory used to be, and then the factory is sort of, I suppose... Rather cruelly uh, memorialised in the yeah. of the houses that yeah. replaced it. Um, so yeah, there's sort of lots of the names of lots of proud Letchworth Industries are now kind of other nondescript uh, residential street. So Marmot used to make prams. Prams, yeah. Tabs close after British Tab. Yeah. They've made the first computers. And um, actually, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Well, they, well, I mean, there's obviously lots of people. Lots of how you, how do you define the first computer? But they've made. Um, tabulating machines and uh, the the really popular one they did was called the Hollerith Hand Punch which was used all over the country and all over the world wow yeah and is to modernise completely baffling that's amazing a lot of people know you as the the Garden City historian 
and you're based mostly at the uh, the Garden Cities Institute. Uh, well, I've floated about. I'm in charge of the the International Garden Cities um, Exhibition or Institute on North and May South. Um, the Garden City Collection, which is the sort of museum store and archive, is up on Wilbury Hills Road, and we also have a a micro museum. It's a sort of single room with as much social history crammed into it as we could fit, which is on Broadway Gardens in a building called One Garden City. That's awesome. So how many more of these events have you, have you got now? Yeah, so, well, we've, uh, this is our fourth or fifth, and we're planning really to keep doing it throughout the summer. Actually, they've been well-received, and there's lots of uh, lectures, parks and open spaces still to get to. So... So yeah, all summer. So we're we've still we're going to go to the the Grange Recreation Ground and uh, Hillbrow and Howard Gardens. We're on Broadway Gardens at the end of June for the Armed Forces Day. So we've got some displays about World War Two, and um, yeah, who knows? We'll probably start the um, you know start again from the start after that. Excellent. So. Josh, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you and um, I'd love to talk with you again about Letchworth itself and what is a garden city and that kind of thing. Maybe we can make a, an arrangement for, for that some point. That would be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Excellent. Well, thanks again for talking with us. You're welcome. And um, speak to you again soon. Fantastic. Once again, information about Letchworth's Outdoor Museum the Lecture of Garden City Heritage Foundation, the International Garden Cities Institute, the Garden City Collection, and the museum at One Garden City can be found in the show notes. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Well, we've come to the end of our International Podcast Day episode of The Garbage Pod. Before I go, I'd like to thank both Joe Cariotti and Josh Tidy for coming on board. I hope you enjoyed your time with us, and if you did, check out some of our other content. So that leaves me with one thing left to say, and that's thanks for listening, stay safe, and happy International Podcast Day. Be sure to visit thegarbagepod.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com where your input is our output. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. The Garbage Pod is a Spamhead production.